0: I should see what episode this is going to be. Ten. Ten. Easy. Who got the truth? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Who got the truth now? Is Is it you? Is it
1: you? Is it you? Sit me down. Say it straight. Another story
0: on the way. Welcome to episode 10 of Acquired, the podcast where we talk about technology acquisitions that actually went well. I am Ben Gilbert.
1: I'm David Rosenthal.
0: And we are your hosts. Today, we come to you with an acquisition that is actually not a technology acquisition, but something that David and I were um, inclined to talk about anyway, because we both sort of have a a little romantic fascination with... uh, Anything involving airplanes, and uh, this this is particularly interesting. Today we're going to be talking about Alaska Airlines acquiring Virgin America right here in our own backyard in Seattle. Before we get into the acquisition history and facts, um, wanted to remind you that you can sign up now at Acquired FM to get our episodes delivered via email. We also uh, would really, really, really appreciate it if you could rate us on iTunes. It'll help us grow the show and expand what we can do with it from productions to new topics and guests. For our sponsor this episode, we have Zoom Info. Zoom Info is an awesome business and product story that is totally in the acquired vein. Totally.
1: This is an amazing under the radar entrepreneurial story. Henry Shuck, the CEO of Zoom Info, actually founded a predecessor company back in 2007 called Discover Org from his law school apartment. They were dedicated to helping sales professionals find the right contacts at the right accounts so they could stop digging for prospects and focus on closing deals. And then in 2019, DiscoverOrg actually acquired ZoomInfo, another big player in the business data space.
0: Yes, they kept the ZoomInfo name and the combined company has grown way beyond just being a contact data solution. They've actually created this full stack B2B revenue growth platform on top of it. It is super cool. Zoom Info actually went public in 2020. They were the first real tech IPO after COVID hit, and they have continued to expand their product suite, and they've just done phenomenally well. It starts with the best business data in the world, whether that's company, contact, or intent data, and this data fuels Zoom Info's actionable insights, engagement platform, automated workflow capabilities, and so much more. It is the single best way for B2B professionals to find their next customer or close their next deal streamline their operations, and build the best team possible. And best of all, it is all in one place so your revenue teams can collaborate seamlessly and close deals faster.
1: So if you're in B2B and you're wondering, how can we drive more revenue and who's not? How can we find, acquire, and grow accounts that are looking for our solution right now? How do we make our sales and marketing teams as productive as possible? How do we automate our go-to-market motions to both supercharge our growth and save money? ZoomInfo is simply amazing. They now handle the full revenue pipeline from marketing to sales, even ops, all based on the number one ranked business data.
0: Yes, customers include enterprises like Snowflake, Workday, PayPal, Dropbox, Unilever, and thousands of startup and growth companies, 30,000 customers and counting. And here's something really cool. ZoomInfo is making their go-to-market playbook available for anyone to try for free, you want to find out how you can use intent data to target key prospects or how to revive a stalled deal by expanding your buying committee outreach. Head on over to acquired.fm slash zoom info to see the zoom info plays and just tell them that Ben and David at acquired sent you.
1: Yes, definitely. And our huge thank you to zoom info.
0: Now with that out of the way, David, you want to dive into acquisition history and facts? Indeed. Um, yeah, this will be a fun one. Uh,
1: listeners, let us know what you think. Uh, we're, um, don't worry, we're not changing the topic of the show, uh, but we thought we'd have some fun and uh, analyze a very different industry than technology.
0: Yeah, and not to mention the fact that you know it's not a tech acquisition. Um, there is technology involved, but the, the, the way we're kind of breaking the mold on this one, too, is this just happened last month. It's, yep. it's not like or this month, actually. Yeah, a uh, couple of weeks ago. Yeah, so this is this is something where it's going to be highly speculative, um, but I think it's going to be a fun ride. All right, with that, um, so Virgin America
1: was actually founded in 2004 uh, by Richard Branson, um, and then had to go through a whole series of machinations uh, to end up finally launching uh, their their airline service in the U.S. Uh, not until 2007. And over those three years, uh, a whole bunch of things happen. So, one, it turns out that due to some crazy laws, um, U.S. domestic airlines cannot be owned, uh, cannot uh, have foreign ownership greater than 25% of the company. Crazy. Crazy. Uh, so, um, So, Branson and Virgin had to... Uh, had to basically sell off seventy five percent of the company before they could even have a hope of operating.
0: It's wild, and I think at that point when they were first starting, it was Virgin USA. Even and then, mm-hmm. they they rebranded. A little it was bit.
1: later that they rebranded to Virgin America. So uh, Branson sells seventy five percent of the company to a couple hedge funds,
0: and and licenses the Virgin brand to Virgin America. So that yep. Virgin America doesn't even own Virgin. That's painted on their own airplanes. Yep.
1: Uh, and there was talk at various points in time about, uh, ditching Virgin, uh, the name, would that help get regulatory approval earlier, uh, faster craziness. Anyway, they finally clear all the regulatory hurdles. They buy some aircraft. They start, uh, operations in San Francisco with SFO as their hub. Um, they launch in 2007. Uh, things go fairly well. Uh, they, um, uh, they don't die at least like a lot of startup airlines and uh, and, and they actually have some some major kind of technology related innovations. So in 2009, Virgin actually becomes the first airline to offer go go in-flight wireless, That's in-flight right. Wi-Fi, um, which is uh, now it's hard to imagine now, you know, taking yeah. up-
0: as as Louis CK says is magic and is the newest thing I know that exists. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh I still, I hate it when I, when now the random, you know, rare times when you end up on a plane without Wi-Fi. Sorry. Uh, they also are the first airline, um, uh, to, I believe to install in flight, uh, seat back, uh, interactive touchscreens for, uh, everybody, uh, all throughout mm. the whole plane. Um, not
0: to mention purple afterglow glow light,
1: not to mention nightclub inspired, <laughs> mood lighting.
0: um,
1: uh, for our for our listeners who haven't flown Virgin America, they're probably gonna have no idea what we're talking
0: about. But yeah, I guess it's a pretty West Coast. I think anybody yeah. listening in the Bay Area has definitely flown it since yeah. they're hopped out of SFO. A bit.
1: Um, so the Virgin actually ends up going public, uh, having an IPO in November 2014, um, and then not that long later, we're about uh, we're about 18 months uh, since then. Um, a bidding war erupts for the company, uh, between Alaska, uh, which ended up buying them, uh, and, uh, and had been interested in rumored to be interested in the company in Virgin for, for a long time, uh, and JetBlue. And, uh, and then Monday morning, April 4th, Alaska announces that they have agreed to acquire Virgin for $2.6 billion, uh, which was a 47% premium to, the stock's closing, the Virgin stock's closing price the previous Friday, and about an 80% premium to where the stock was before rumors came out that a bidding war was happening.
0: Yeah. And this is the first red flag for me. I mean, I think that... um, Basically, a massive premium. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you see a spike like that, you start to dig into why. And I think we'll we'll talk a little bit more about kind of the way the industry has shifted, but... uh, With all the consolidation, the only way that, um, you know, an airline can really compete with the big guys is to be big themselves and the big guys being United, Delta, um, American and Southwest. Southwest. And so, you know, which itself started as a little guy. Very true. I think that's, that's like the typical low end disruption case study. And they're, they're really, that's, that's a great business and a really interesting story on its own. But I mean that clearly Alaska in, in trying to compete, there's, there's a limited number of airlines that it could buy. And um, JetBlue clearly identified the same opportunity and the result is this very, very inflated purchase. Yep. Uh,
1: So when the dust clears and all is said and done, um, Basically, the total enterprise value of the deal ends up being about $4 billion
0: um, if you include the debt and the aircraft leases that that Virgin had. Which is fascinating because normally when we talk about these acquisitions, we would say a $2.6 billion purchase. Um, you know in cash and stock or maybe an all stock deal this was an all cash 2.6 billion dollar purchase plus taking on that 1.4 billion dollars of leases on airplanes and debt and what a ridiculous capital intensive high fixed cost industry air travel is that's
1: that's four instagrams ben (laughs) wild Uh, and then perhaps the craziest part about this deal is uh, again relative to the technology sector um, so it was announced a couple weeks ago, uh, on April 4th, 2016, not expected to close until early 2017 at the latest huge amount of regulatory review that has to still has to happen here.
0: And, and we've actually seen precedent, um, I think in, in the American airlines, U S air merger where, um, there, there was regulatory troubles and it almost yep. didn't go through.
1: And, uh, the government extracted huge concessions from, um, from those two airlines when they merged.
0: So we may be doing a follow up at some point in the future if uh, if by 2017 we don't see a, a joined airline here,
1: and our listeners don't revolt
0: against us for talking about airlines. It's true. Well, the other <laughs> okay. the other really interesting thing here is in just talking about the deal price, um, Alaska Airlines does not have 2.6 billion dollars in cash to make this purchase. Um, they, if I if I have my numbers right. Um, yeah, as is... of November of 2015, according to their their earnings, they had 88 million in cash and 1.1 billion in marketable securities. Yep. So, I believe what happened here is in the bidding war with JetBlue, um, Alaska has has incredibly clean books. They have um, they're one of the few airlines that actually is very low graded. debt
1: load, uh, and actually have investment grade debt. Which, uh, for listeners who aren't in the come from the investment banking world, basically means that. Um, the amount of debt that Alaska has is small enough relative to its earnings power that people think it's very, very unlikely they'll go bankrupt, especially for an airline. No other airline has, is rated as highly, basically, which means that people who lend to them think there's a good chance they'll go bankrupt.
0: Yeah. So is there a chance then that, um, that the way I sort of understand it is, is, uh, JetBlue sort of had to cry uncle because they didn't have the amount of debt available. Didn't have to them the to borrowing
1: make, power to yeah, be able to make the purchase. Yep, reach this this price. Um, but now this is going to totally transform Alaska. Like they're going to take out another billion and a half, perhaps plus of debt
0: to to make the well, yeah. I mean to make the purchase and then to to take on the debt and leases that that uh,
1: and Virgin was also a fairly low debt load airline as far as airlines go um but still it's changing the capital structure of the company combined company pretty significantly yeah um great should we move on to acquisition category
0: yeah that sounds good to me um why don't i start with that uh moving on to the acquisition category this to me doesn't fit our mold necessarily of people technology product business line or other i mean i guess if everything fits in other. in in some ways it's a business line um they picked up a, yep. a brand that people have tremendous affinity for and access different customers with that's uh, assuming they keep the brand well yeah and that's that's something we should talk about ultimately though what i think they're acquiring here is capacity they identified the opportunity that they wanted to be the west coast airline and right now they don't have a meaningful presence ca- in california yep. they, they're hubbed out of seattle they have very little San Francisco and even less LAX presence. And this gives them major, major capacity to kind of um, be the West Coast airline.
1: Yeah. Basically, you know, if you look at, if you, if you think about kind of airline route maps that, you know, you see on the back of the cards and the, and the, and the back, it makes of you, your head seats, spin, but it's super Makes cool your head spins, but head. it's usually, you know, it's like the spider web that emanates from a few major cities. You know, the Alaska hub is Seattle and there's a huge spider web coming out of Seattle to, Every country in America and, or every city in America and, um, uh, and, and several international, uh, destinations. Um, and then, and then very few route pairs from other cities. Uh, and, and Virgin is the same thing, but just from SFO.
0: Mm-hmm. So, in your opinion then, well, before we get into that, how, how would you categorize the, uh, so the yeah, I was actually, I,
1: we hadn't discussed this beforehand, but I was going to go down the same path you are and say, in our framework this would fit closest to a business line kind of like you know buying the local San Francisco airline and you're the Seattle you know, the local Seattle airline but um but i actually think the best categorization is this is industry consolidation yeah. um which is you know in a super mature old school industry like the airline industry very different from technology you get these periods of consolidation where um where where players merge with each other because they feel like they need greater scale to um, to compete. And um, and, I, and I, I think that's what we're seeing happen here.
0: Yeah. And this is an interesting time to, to um, go into uh, how Alaska makes the case to their investors for this. There's this great investor deck that they have on their website um, where they talk about why their investors should feel comfortable with this purchase. And they say that we're bullish on the industry uh, from 77 to 2009. The industry lost fifty-two billion dollars.
1: I mean, the airline industry is notorious for. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> for I mean, we should talk about. It. There's a great, great. Uh, I almost included this as my carve out for the week, but I'm going to do something else because I knew we'd talk about it on the episode. There's a great paper um, that was written by Michael Malbison and and his team, uh, who's um, a great investor. He was he was head of Leg Mason, which is a large mutual fund and. At Credit Suisse for a long time. And I believe he's now back at Credit Suisse. He's written a number of great books. He's also a professor at, uh, Columbia Business School, I believe. Um, and he wrote this great paper called measuring the moat. And it's all about the concept of the moat, you know, as an investor is, is, is sort of the most important thing. You know, Warren Buffett emphasized and Berkshire Hathaway and Charlie Munger, you know, emphasized the moat as sort of the most important thing they look for. And he uses the airline industry as an example of a terrible, industry that has destroyed so much economic value and, and has no moat.
0: yeah and this this is um, I'm not sure if this I think this is still true it was at least true a couple of years ago if you look at the airline industry since its inception and you look at basically a profit and loss statement for an aggregate of of every single airline it's it's lost value like it's it's yeah. actually been it's actually not been profitable. If you look at every the entire single industry, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and
1: and and not just lost value, but lost a huge <laughs> amount of value, a huge amount of capital has been destroyed in this industry.
0: So when you know when they say that that 77 to 2009, uh, you know they've lost 52 billion dollars as an industry. It is interesting that people continue to invest in it. Yet from 2010 to 2015, over the last six years, it's it's a pre, it's um it's generated, been good
1: times in the airline industry. Yes, 45 we'll billion into dollars
0: that. of value. And so the, the, some of the things they cite are, um, or Alaska cites to their investors are a fundamentally changed industry structure. And that I think is largely, I mean, when you look at the consolidation that's going on, they're basically saying, okay, the, the fragmentation's gone. And right now the, the industry su- structure is that there's four relatively perfect substitutes in these, these big ones that are all, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to get treated sort of like cattle when you're in, in, uh, coach. And, you, and, and you've and, seen
1: in the past few years, uh, I believe the first was United and Continental merged. You've seen all the major uh, legacy domestic airlines consolidate and merge, and then and then U.S. Air and American merged. Um, and so you've got this uh, this consolidating power structure of the industry that actually represents you know between the top four airlines eighty percent of all U.S. domestic airline traffic.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting. I went and grabbed all their market caps today. Um, highest right now, Southwest is a $30 billion company. Delta's, I'm sorry, uh, Delta's higher at $36 billion. Southwest at 30, American at 25, United at 21. And then if you look at uh, Alaska's is, is $10 billion without Virgin, Virgin's two and a half and JetBlue at seven. So if you just look at the, those players, $132 billion, effectively market cap for the industry and when you think about, like, Apple as a 500 billion, $590 billion market cap company, you start to yeah. understand, like, wow, the whole industry here is, is you know, if we were looking at this, I- any given airline, and comparing it against one of these mega technology companies that we usually talk about on the show, like, airline companies just don't create that much value. Yeah. Or maybe more accurately, they don't capture that much value. Yeah, and it's
1: super interesting. I, I I'm sure we'll get into uh, throughout the show, the supply chain of the airline industry is fascinating. Um, you know, you've got basically a duopoly that are direct suppliers to the, to the airlines in Boeing and Airbus, um, that make the big passenger jets. Um, and they have a huge amount of power over, uh, over the airlines because, you know, while there is two of them, you could go from one to the other. It's not like you can say, it's not like the airlines can be like a, you know, like a Google and be like, you know, oh, we're going to like, you know, become a full stack company and we're just going to obsolete you and we're going to make our own cloud or whatever.
0: Like the airlines can't make their own airplanes. Yeah. Getting good at servers is different than getting good at airplanes. Yeah. Yeah. So getting back to the Alaska reasons, they're bullish on the industry. The the industry structure is consolidated. This is sort of a BS bullet point, I think, but returns focused leadership teams. That's sort of like tuning your own horn and claiming competency. um, Constrained airport real estate. This this one's sort of interesting. I guess they're sort of saying, like, we've reached a saturation point right now where we're not building more airports. The airports aren't getting bigger. And over the last, you know, since 1960, that's been the case. And now it's all about sort of vying for space at the existing airports that we have. And yep. then the capacity acquisition starts to make a lot of sense. Yeah,
1: there are only so many gates.
0: Right, right, right. Um, growth in leisure travel, which is interesting to sort of pick apart and and, and think about why that might be. And then new revenue sources. And I think we can all gripe about how we are um, well aware of all the revenue sources that, that airlines can... Um, Charging for bags. And food yeah. and entertainment. I mean,
1: some of these are new services they've added. And, and Virgin and Alaska have both been kind of the bleeding edge here of the inflate flight Wi-Fi and entertainment and movies um, and snacks that are actually... Palatable. edible <laughs>
0: <laughs> and co-branded with Tom Douglas. So it, yep. it's always so funny to see, to get on those planes and see how far, um, for, for those of you not from Seattle, he's sort of like the big restaurant tour in town, um, to see how far he's leveraged that brand. Now that I opened the little snack pamphlet on an American airlines and there's Tom smiling at me and on the front of it. <laughs> Love it. So artisanal. So, um, yeah, I, I, from a category perspective, you know, I think, uh, Absolutely, I would chalk it up to capacity. Yep, and
1: the other the other point I want to uh, I want to explore here a little bit is um, there's a really interesting context for this deal that uh, people in Seattle might be aware of, but I doubt anyone not here is, and that's that Delta actually has been putting a huge amount of pressure on um, on Alaska here in Seattle in their in their hub. Uh, Delta has been growing over the last few years their presence in seattle a lot um and uh and and for a long time i think alaska was probably um concerned either concerned or expecting that delta was going to make an offer to buy them um and uh they haven't um instead they've just organically grown and taken more and more gates uh here in in seattle and it's really interesting i was talking to somebody who is far more of an airline industry expert uh, than, than we are. Um, and, and he was making the point that um, the frame of reference is really different for these two companies, Delta and Alaska. You know, Alaska is a domestic carrier, and it's a West Coast-focused carrier. Mm-hmm. Delta is an international carrier. And Delta coming into Seattle was part about competing with Alaska domestically because Alaska's built a really nice business here. But also a, an even bigger part, probably for Delta, is is using Seattle as a as a gateway to for international flights to Asia, um, mm. because gate real estate, as as you were saying, Ben, is is so scarce, and and at the other big cities on the West Coast, at SFO and at LAX, uh, is so competitive and impossible to get um, to get more real estate there. Um, I think Delta really viewed seattle as as kind of their gateway so that they could send people from all over the u.s on flights to seattle and then hop over to japan to korea to china um, to what have you makes sense whereas for alaska you know that's not even an accessible market to them right now
0: right 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 in looking at this acquisition category and the kind of the way we've we've both defined it in a 2.6 billion dollar sale, that it seems inflated for two reasons: one, kind of the, the bidding war, because it was um, there was scarcity of good airlines to buy that would complement JetBlue or Alaska well. But two, um, a lot of the value, the kind of um, intrinsic value that was given to uh, Virgin even before rumors of a sale was brand value yeah i mean they have tremendous customer affinity they do things a little bit differently you people who love virgin love virgin i always have and a people better who love Alaska love Alaska too it's true but actually and actually those are two of my favorite airlines to fly but but virgin is like notoriously different and better and feels premium and that had to be factored into their their you know market cap and yep. when you think about what they are going to be used for? I mean, Alaska announced that by 2018 they hope to be fully rebranded as as Alaska. Ho- you know, hopefully they can learn some things from from Virgin, and they've been watching them very carefully. But if they obliterate that brand, you know, what what was the point of paying a markup on a markup for capacity? Yeah, it's it's a great point. Um,
1: you know, the Alaska brand. Uh, again, it was, was very good, especially in the airline industry on its own. I think, you know, really, uh, was kind of like very professional. They had either the best in the industry or the best on the West coast on time percentage. Um, lots of great, you know, very, very business commuter friendly, um, and Virgin was like, you know, like we joked earlier, like a nightclub on a plane. <laughs> um, lots of uh, it was the the favored airline of uh, of um, all of me and all my classmates when we were in business school,
0: and we can leave it at that. <laughs> so then, uh, one other thing that I want to bring up in that realm is payback period. So they cite in uh, or, or uh, Alaska cites that. Um, they'll have $225 million of total net synergies at full integration. So what we can pull from that is that there will be $225 million of cost savings after they're fully integrated. So let's call that, you know, 2018-ish. And that means that there's probably other value that they, that, that they can create on top of that, like um, a, a ability to create more revenue because they have these economies of scale, um, new things just on top of that. That means that they have uh, on this. If we look at the $4 billion as the figure, um, that's a 17 year payback period on this acquisition just on the synergies. And, you know, do we think that. Yeah. It, uh, now, Virgin had
1: earnings as well that would contribute to that. But uh, two points I want to make, but go ahead.
0: Yeah. Uh, no, no, go for it. I've, I've pretty much made the point that, like, it, it, it seems like it's gonna take a while to yeah to recoup the value of any of this. way
1: you slice it it's going to take a while and I think there are two really head scratching things about this merger um, that uh, that are really important that some certainly industry experts are, are questioning um, but you know Alaska didn't, hasn't talked a lot about one um the primary reason for the sort of economic renaissance of airlines in the last couple of years has been falling fuel prices. Yeah, which
0: are only nominally passed on to consumers, and everyone's getting a right, little
1: right. And so, airlines as a whole, across the whole industry, have gone from you know call it spending X on fuel, which was a huge amount of their of their operating budget, and kept their margins you know low to negative, um, to spending like X divided by two on fuel. And, uh, and, and thus they are enjoying as an industry much greater profits than they used to. Now the question is like, is that a new normal or like, is our oil prices going to go back up at some point? And, you know, we could do another show on the oil and gas industry and this is a major <laughs> existential question for that whole industry. But if you were to take the viewpoint that like, this is a temporary thing and prices will go back up, which historically they have, you know, fluctuated throughout history, um, You know, gosh, it seems like you're buying at the top of the market here, where where profits are artificially inflated. Um, So that's one. Two, you know, synergies, uh, as as you rightly mentioned, Ben, are are, um, you know often about the combined revenue potential and real, you know, and and being able to extract more money from consumers and routes and whatnot. But they're they're also really about cost savings. Yeah. Um, And
0: consolidating the back and
1: consolidating and and economies of scale and all that front, but. There's there's kind of a problem here with this acquisition, and that's that Alaska flies Boeing planes and Virgin flies Airbus planes.
0: Exclusively Airbus. Their entire fleet. Alaska only
1: flies Boeing and Virgin only flies Airbus. And you might say, as a naive consumer, as I did before I started looking into this, like, no big deal. I mean, like, they look like it's a plane. A plane is a plane, right? Like, I get on it, it looks the same. Well, it turns out that actually they have completely different control systems and pilots who fly boeing planes can't fly airbus planes and pilots who fly airbus planes can't fly boeing
0: planes so it's not like they're going to be able to share pilots at all between these fleets not going to be able to share pilots
1: uh and of course all the maintenance and all the parts are completely different um now there are uh, the other major airlines do use a mixed fleet of both um, except for Southwest, uh, except for Southwest, yes um, uh, but um,
0: Wait, uh, so, so Southwest is entirely Boeing seven thirty sevens because um, they realized that in a part of their business model was going to be staying as lean as possible and and, yep. and keeping everything totally interchangeable and swappable
1: and, and that 's actually been a big part of their story to Wall Street and investors you know about why they're a great company uh, that's been kind of a pillar of it and, and Alaska had the same playbook. And now, all of a sudden, they're like a 50-50 shop of, you know, Airbus and Boeing.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, from a Heartstrings perspective, too, how dare a Seattle company buy a company that's entirely Airbus planes? That's just not patriotic. <laughs> much, much uh,
1: sordid and painful history on Seattle and Boeing, and um, perhaps for another show. Yeah, um, yeah. So... So, yeah, and I think that kind of actually, uh, segs into, um, what usually is a short segment for us. And I think we'll also probably be short here of, of what would have happened otherwise. And here, clearly, the other, I mean, Virgin was going to be acquired. Yeah. Uh, and, and the otherwise was JetBlue had acquired them. Now, JetBlue is also an Airbus, uh, uh, uh company. So, um, would have been a lot easier for them to realize cost synergies.
0: Yeah. And there's two, two points I want to make here. One, Virgin is sort of only recently profitable I think they so they launched in two thousand and seven yep. took them three years to have their first profitable quarter. They're struggling as pitching themselves as both a low cost airline and an airline that has a really premium service yep and I think that they were better at adhering to the premium service than they were to the low cost, but that's a tough story to 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 sell to consumers and I think they 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 were struggling with you know how how to be both because you can't both be uh, a Volvo and a Cadillac and have that that story be um you know sustainable and and enduring. And so I think that um you know Virgin didn't necessarily need to sell. They were in definitely definitely in the right place, right time where they had a um exactly what they uh, got
1: an eighty percent premium to
0: their <laughs> yeah. pre acquisition uh share price. That that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Good good on them for their M&A positioning. But, um, you know, that that seems like a little bit of a precarious position. And as, as uh, you know, at Pioneer Square Labs, a lot when we're thinking about starting these companies, I think I would get a lot of crazy looks if I was like, well, we're going to be a low-cost premium company.
1: It reminds me of, um, I've been reading another, could have potentially been my carve-out but won't be. Um, I've been listening on audiobook to a great book called Business Adventures. Uh, it's a classic. It's from... I believe it was written in either this in the seventies, perhaps I was recommended to me by a good friend and um, I've been listening to it and it's just, it's 10 vignettes of like more, more aptly titled business misadventures. Uh, The first one is about a stock market crash in the sixties, but the second one that I'm listening to now is about the Edsel, the the car that Ford launched. That's like Mm. widely considered like the worst product (laughs) launch in history. And one of the key lessons from it is that, like Ford wanted the Edsel to be everything to everyone. Like they say, like, you know, daringly adventurous with a dash of conservatism, you know? And it's like, what <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, you know, I, you're, uh, or, um, you know, for the, uh, it, it's elegant, you know, luxury for the aspiring, you know, young executive, you know, and affordable for like the middle market. And it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> And it, and it failed spectacularly.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm not over here preaching that that that, that was going to be Virgin's path, but that was always sort of a head scratcher to me about that company. Now, the question that I want to pose to you is: What would have happened to Alaska in with with all the consolidation in the market going on and kind and of the moving to from four, four yeah. major players? The pressure from Delta on the home front. You know, what if they don't expand?
1: Yeah, and I think this you know, to give some credit to, to Alaska, um, I feel like we've been sort of taking potshots at this deal. (laughs) Um, they were in a tough position, I think, um, you know, doing well in the moment, but facing this pressure from Delta, this consolidation across the whole industry, and they had developed a really, really nice niche, um, here in Seattle as the, the, you know, by far the best, Routes and customer service for people who live in Seattle and fly in and out of SeaTac, but great business routes. Um, but they kind of had nowhere to go. They were getting pressure from Delta here. It was super hard for them. What are they going to do? Expand internationally? Are they going to um, go to other cities? And, and that's what they did with this. They said we we kind of need to. We need to grow. It's going to be super hard to do organically. Here's an opportunity, we have a great balance sheet. Um, and, a, and for an airline, a lot of cash. We know we're relative to the industry pretty well run. Here's an opportunity to buy Virgin and basically double our size and run the same playbook again. Um, or they could have just stayed in sort of steady state where they are.
0: Well, it's funny. You, you, <laughs> you would hope that they double their market size because the, the acquisition is so expensive. But when you look at the numbers of, um, what Alaska is doing and what, what Virgin's doing. Um, Alaska has 32 million total passengers a year. Virgin has seven. Alaska Mm -hmm. has a thousand departures a day. Virgin has 200. There's 112 destinations served by Alaska. Virgin has 24. Uh, pre-tax profit from Alaska, $1.3 billion. Virgin, $200 million. So like that is an expensive purchase for a much, much smaller operation.
1: Yep. And a much smaller operation with, um, no room to grow in San Francisco. Yeah. I mean all you know, not just SFO, but the other airports in in the Bay Area too, Oakland and um and San Jose, which are which are different. They're really commuter, you know, commuter airports, although pro tip for Seattle to Bay Area computers commuters never fly to SFO. You always got to do Oakland or San Jose (laughs) because if you do at SFO, there's so much fog and fog delays and they always delay the Seattle flights because they want the cross-country flights to land on time. Got to do Oakland or San Jose. Pro tip. Pro tip. Anyway, but there's no room to expand at any of these airports.
0: Yeah. All right, let's move on to our next section. What tech themes does this illustrate for you? Yeah, this is a really interesting one. I, I
1: debated a lot of ideas here. And it's ironic because this is not a technology acquisition. Um, But actually, I'm going to go with um, niche marketing. Um, And uh, again, even though we've been taking pot shots against this deal, both Virgin and Alaska before the merger really succeeded at this. Like In a crowded marketplace with lots of big platform players and the big national carriers, they found a niche, Alaska, here in Seattle and with business travelers and Virgin in San Francisco with, you know, sort of um, quality of service and uh, and um, sort of style minded customers. Uh, and they served it really, really well. And they grew very big businesses out of that. I mean, uh, you know, combined uh, the, you know, the obviously the price for Virgin at two point six billion dollars. And I can't remember, what was Alaska's market cap before?
0: Um, uh, oh, it's uh, oh. Bof. So their stock actually went down on announcing right. the acquisition. It's about ten billion dollars now. About ten
1: billion dollars. You know, these are great businesses, and I think that same um, principle totally applies in technology. And, and people, especially startups, often overlook it. Like they try and go after you know the Delta or the uh, United or the Southwest on day one. They try and go after you know, Google on day one. You're not going to beat Google on day one. The way you're going to beat Google down the road is you start with a small audience, a small niche of people who love you passionately. And then you grow from there. And then you knock you know then you knock down, you know, in crossing the chasm speak the next bowling pin and the next bowling pin and the next bowling pin. And that's much easier to do in technology than it is in airlines. But the great thing about it is that, you know, you're probably not going to become the next Facebook or Google but if you knock down a couple bowling pins along the way you're still going to become a really great and valuable company and then maybe you get a chance to knock them all down and you will become the next you know you will be Snapchat and become the next Facebook. Yeah. Calling it here.
0: There you go. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: Does that analogy also kind of apply to the the brand loyalty aspect of airlines? Mm. Which they've you know huge um, innovation. Yeah, uh, right. the in invented the, loyalty in the inventing. You know the the loyalty and the airline miles um, and status.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so you're postulating that there, in order what, to are there capitalize are there are there
1: technology companies that have probably not enough. There should be more, but that have taken that sort of loyalty aspect, where like the more I use a platform the deeper i get locked in because the more you know airline miles i have on it for lack of a better word mm.
0: yeah i mean totally I, I think that everybody that has has like done well at loyalty in the last 50 years has taken it from airlines the question is like
1: do you need to open table definitely did yeah uh quite successfully yeah. Um,
0: I, well, I guess I'm wondering, do you need to... That would uh, be a great uh, acquisition to cover at some point. Open table? Yeah. Yeah. will add it to the list. We, um yeah, I'm trying to think about, like, is it necessary... Has something changed in the world where it's necessary to consolidate to keep loyalty? Because, like, d- does something exist now that didn't exist before where people only ever want to use one airline?
1: Or... I mean, that's definitely the case in technology. Like, I think about, um, you know, the power law and the power of network effects, like HipChat, right? Like, two years ago, a bunch of our portfolio companies used HipChat. And Mm -hmm. some of them used Slack and some of them used HipChat. And, they would, you know, I'd talk to people using HipChat and be like, you should really check out Slack. And they'd be like, ah, you know, we use HipChat. It's good enough. But then, like, as their friends at other companies got on Slack and then Slack channels started popping up for you know, industry groups and whatnot. And then it was like, well, we should really think about moving to Slack. And like, then, you know, this power law takes over and being on, even if, you know, I think Slack has done a lot of great product innovations, but even if they hadn't, you would be pushed to move towards it, even if you're on HipChat, because the rest of the world is on it.
0: Yeah. And with Slack, I think that the like network effect was because people were starting inter Slack's. So you would end up with yeah. like, Oh, I'm in this Slack. That's like a social exactly. thing or an industry thing. And then it yeah. was like, I'm not going to keep using two separate applications. So like, it, does that apply here where, Oh, I'm not going to maintain points at two separate loyalty programs. Cause that was always super annoying. I, yeah. I mean, I, there was a few startups that I was trying out that were trying to aggregate my loyalty programs for me or at least help me keep track. And that was, that was a uh, kind of total pain. Um, oh, but uh, to, to, um, segue off of, aggregator onto another technology trend. Let's see if this, let me think through this and see if this logic kind of follows. So, uh, sites like Kayak and Hitmonk and all these, you know, Travelocity Priceline, travel aggregators pop up Yep. and that's 15, 20 years ago. And that effectively commoditizes airlines and compresses their margins because people's loyalty people's loyalty to those airlines is shaken because they have an easy way to find cheaper prices mm-hmm. the price. Comp- and, so, and so therefore margins are driven down because airlines get more commoditized. And when they're more commoditized and there's less profit to be had, even though they weren't making a lot of profit before they need to consolidate to create a cheaper back office to, cr- you know, take advantage yep. of economies of scale. And now if you're a smaller airline, the inefficiencies, from you having a smaller operation could kill you. And so if you follow it all the way back to the the online travel aggregators, does does that sort of create the environment in which you need to have a bidding war for this acquisition so that you can be a more major player in a consolidated yeah. market?
1: Mm-hmm. It's interesting um it feels a little bit it's different because it hasn't fully become a digitized industry, but it's reminiscent of Ben Thompson's aggregation theory, Mm. right? Where, um, where aggregating, uh, the consumer endpoint and experience, uh, he argues in, you know, the, the digital 21st century, you know, post-internet world is where all the value is. And then you can aggregate all the, all the, difficult, you know, content creation uh, behind that, uh, content creation, uses, but in this case, you know, airlines like point-to-point travel mm-hmm. um, and and own that relationship with the customer at the front end. And then you commoditize everything on the back end and that's completely happened. And, and interesting, Southwest, you know, has refused to uh, participate in the let aggregators yeah, uh, to let themselves be aggregated and, and probably has some of the most, you know, Loyal customers, um, you know, I mean, their ticker symbol is love, L-U-V, right? <laughs> uh, and they always talk about how much, you know, everybody loves each other at Southwest. Um, yeah, they've bought that actively and, and they've probably had the most success on the branding front.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, why don't we move on to rendering our conclusions? I think that's, I think it's that time. Yeah. And I think we've, you know, we've kind of expressed our our opinions laced in a bunch of comments throughout this. For me, you know, I think the value is inflated both by the bidding war and by the fact that they bought something that had brand built into the market cap when they're not necessarily going to leverage and in, in fact have announced they're not going to leverage that brand. Um, but I think they needed to and I don't think they had a lot of options and I think they both picked the time right when this, this you know, was an available purchase And they put themselves in a really good position to make that purchase by, you know, I'm probably the wrong person to talk about this, but by putting their books in a great position over the last five years and being really intentional about having or being an investment grade or having investment grade credit. And, you know, I think that JetBlue didn't prioritize that as much and neither did any of the other smaller airlines and in a world where they they you know, need to consolidate, they put themselves in a position where they're able to do so. So, um, I'll give it a B minus.
1: Yep. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to separate out, uh, just at least for me, the sort of coming from the tech industry, this sort of, uh, shock at looking at the terrible economics of the airline industry as a whole (laughs) and dynamics, um, uh, versus the, actual um quality of decision making in this acquisition um so i think a lot of what you said i agree with um but i'm gonna go lower i'm gonna go c minus because um what you said is right but they paid so much money they paid so much (laughs) money i mean i i don't think it's public and i don't know that anybody except the executives involved know what what um alaska's initial bid for virgin was but like it got bid up so many times until like oh that's a large price for something that your pilots can't fly
0: (laughs) can an airline make a good purchase (laughs) yeah
1: good point good point (laughs) yeah all right should we move on to the carve out
0: yeah so this is wild like i i was like Stopping myself from laughing and my jaw dropped. And I think it almost ruined David's train of thought earlier when he started talking about how it wasn't going to be his carve out. But it was a paper that uh, Michael is I Mambu- uh, Malbison, okay. Malbison, that Michael Malbison wrote about this. I picked my carve out as a Michael Malbison talk that he gave at Google. Oh, this is
1: so good. Everybody, everybody should watch this talk. It's really good.
0: Like, and this, David, this is so weird. I haven't watched this in probably two years. And it was something that I've recommended to friends very often. And so I was sitting here before the episode thinking, you know, I didn't see anything particularly interesting this week that I wanted to recommend, but how about an oldie, but goodie? It is absolutely wild that this talk is great. And it's,
1: it's based on a book, uh, that I've read the book too, which is worth reading too, um, called Untangling Luck and Skill.
0: Yep. Yep. Untangling Skill and Luck, The Success Equation. And it is so, so fascinating. He gives so many great examples that will make you both uh, like follow it logically and nod your head and sort of scared that about how much of your own success has been out of your control or how much the world is out of our control. So how much of your own success cannot be attributed to you and how much of your own failure cannot be attributed to you. And trying to figure out what are things that you have attributed to your own skill. Yes, yes. And and what are things that you know you actually should be focusing on, and what are things that you should know that there's going to be randomness in the world.
1: It's this the the talk. If you only have an hour, listen to the talk. If you really want to go deep on this, get the book. Uh, it's so good. I, I will restrain myself. I could go in so many directions, but one <laughs> one real quick vignette I want to throw out is one of my favorite themes from this talk and book is, um, the paradox of skill, uh, which is such a, a a cool thing that like in a, a given activity, the whole, the whole premise of the talk in the book is that any activity, the results of which are, are going to be based somewhat on the skill of the participants in the activity and somewhat on luck. And, and there's a spectrum and some things go more towards the luck end and some towards the skill end. The paradox of skill is that even in things that are highly skill based as the level of play gets higher. So imagine the, the example Malbison uses is basketball as basketball, which is very skill based as the level of play gets higher and higher and the parity of skill amongst the players gets more and more uh, uniform then luck plays an increasing amount, a uh, role in the outcome, even though it's a skill based game,
0: particularly due to globalization, because the yeah. only people who are even considered for this are the best in the world. Yep. So then it's, it's like, well, among the people that are all the best that look very similar to each other in yep. skill level, the, the
1: variation in skill gets so minute, uh, that among, luck is magnified, luck is relative. magnified. Yeah. It's Super. Great. And the exact same dynamic holds true in investing in startups and in,
0: in lots of things. When, when the world is the pool, you always have the cream of the crop. And then it's, it's all about all the crazy dynamics that play out from there. So can't recommend it enough. It's on YouTube. We'll link it in the show notes definitely check out The Success Equation Untangling Skill and Luck.
1: I, I, I've taken enough time. I'm going to save mine for another time. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't super interesting anyway. Well, I'm well. going to doubly recommend
0: this. It's so good. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. Well, a huge thank you to our sponsor for this episode, Zoom Info. If your company wants to supercharge its ability to find, acquire, and grow customers while also becoming more efficient, it is a no-brainer to start using Zoom Info. And now they're making their automated go-to-market playbook available for free for anyone to try. Head on over to acquired.fm/zoominfo to see this go-to-market playbook. And when you get in touch, just tell them that Ben and David at Acquired sent you. Thanks, Zoominfo. Thanks for listening today. Um, again, if uh, if you have the time, please, please, please leave us a review on iTunes. Um, can't uh can't say enough how much it's it's uh important to the success of the show and uh we love your feedback so um, and
1: and if you want to receive episodes by email going forward uh just sign up on acquired.fm and we will um we're also now going to start publishing the show uh by email updates as well if you prefer that channel
0: it's true and you can give us feedback on the website or acquiredfm at gmail.com see you later everyone
1: who got the truth Is it you, is it you, is it you who got the truth now?